Jennifer Ajemian. And I'm Tom Zalatni. And you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You You gotta gotta love it. it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Before we dig in, we'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where we're recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of the area. All right. Thank you for joining us on another episode of No Bad Food, LGBBQ. Let's get right into it. Today's guest, Alex Griffin, is a hobbyist, home cook, and church communications director based here in Montreal. A good friend of ours comes over for barbecues once in a while. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Tired, but aren't we all right now? Well, yeah, fair. We did just have, uh, it was Pride Weekend here Mm -hmm. in Montreal this past weekend. Yeah, it was, uh, well, the parade got canceled, sadly. The weekend was still nevertheless quite chaotic. Yeah, (laughs) that's the thing. I feel like you can't actually cancel Pride, right? Like, even if the official parade can't happen, like, I saw tons of people were still marching. There were tons of events going on, like... It happened with or without official organizers. One could even argue that an unofficial march is far more in the spirit of pride than a police-sanctioned yeah. parade. Truth. One could, one could argue. Yeah. A <laughs> little bit. A little bit. Did you get up to anything fun this weekend? Um, yeah. So I went to the Transgender March for Our Liberation. Yeah. In fact, I was there with Tefer as well as my lovely partner, Mallory. And it was great. It was my first time going to anything of the sort because I accepted myself in 2018. In 2019, happened to be in the wrong city for every Pride event that was happening. (laughs) And then the pandemic hit, and so I had some virtual Pride celebrations. But that was my first time attending any kind of march or parade, and that was really cool. And it was such an honor to be able to be there with you. That was really fun. Oh, Tefer, it was so excellent. I was so glad to have you there. I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like, being queer during a pandemic is such a, I mean, we could get into that, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Yeah, we're here to talk about food. Why are we talking about, why are we talking about politics? I don't know. Politics. 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 It's political. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're yeah. but we're here to talk about food. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, so, Alex, to start off the show, we always like to ask our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves, especially, you know, the food that they grew up eating, the food they eat now. And uh, obviously, since this is LGBTQ, our big gay barbecue series, we want you to tell us a little about your relationship with queerness while you're at it, which, I mean, you did already a little bit, but like, yeah. Yeah, sure. So my mom really loved to cook when I was growing up, but I got a bit of a skewed view of what normal cooking is because um she liked to cook so much more than others in our family that i had never really realized that for example you could spend a long time chopping things up or heaven forbid you grease a pan with something other than ham spray Mm. um and so i um actually didn't really cook a lot um in my late teens and early 20s until I moved out on my own and discovered that I actually really loved it. I grew up, I think my favorite 
meal that my mom made when I was a kid was a brown sugar and mustard rubbed grilled salmon. Okay. Um, and, you know, there's some family recipes that I save, especially my mom's um, makes the most complicated turkey brine. It has 25 ingredients and um, takes forever and then brines for several days. And, um, and I, I still make that. Um, we've had Thanksgivings with just me and my partner in lockdown where I'll, I'll still spend the four days brining the turkey. Um, but I think I, I guess I would say I got really into cooking, um, just kind of from finding recipes on Pinterest and well, mostly because I really love to eat, I guess. And I really love good food. And so I couldn't afford to buy it. And so I just started making it myself these days in the summer, I will admit I mostly go for struggle meals because it's too hot to cook in our apartment that only has AC in the bedroom. Sure. But in the winter, you know, I love all kinds of soups and all kinds of, honestly, anything I can make with homemade chicken broth makes me very happy. Yeah, there, there's really nothing like a homemade chicken broth. Yeah, I love that. Um, are you allowed to tell us anything about this 25 ingredient, Brian? Is it just Dr. Pepper? Because I'm immediately thinking <laughs> you could just put a can of Dr. Pepper in there and that's like 27 ingredients already and you're just good to go, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I am. It's not a family secret. My mom got it from some restaurant. Um, I don't know how she talked them into giving it to her. Maybe they <laughs> decided to start selling cookbooks or something called The Inn at Little Washington that she and my father went to before my sibling and I were even born. And so she um, she's had this recipe my whole life. It's gotten harder to make because turkeys have become less and less available that aren't pre-brined sure. in the stores. Mm-hmm. And I'm broke, so I can't exactly afford to go to a nice butcher and get a, a big bird. But um, yeah, it's got everything from fresh sage and tamarind and parsley. Ooh to um, dried juniper berries and mustard seeds. I can find the recipe and you can put it in the show notes if you'd sure, like. Oh that'd my be amazing. God, yeah. I like that you just like casually drop tamarind yeah. in there. Like that's like, <laughs> just that like it. amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's a, uh, I'll then use that turkey to make a broth. Um, like I'll, I'll use the bones and fat and so forth to make a turkey broth that I'll then turn, this is my own innovation, into a uh, Christmas risotto Ooh. later in the season with um, with rosemary and cranberries and turkey broth is kind of the, yeah. the base of the risotto. I love that. That sounds yeah. amazing. Well, I'll put that recipe <laughs> into <laughs> we're, we're We've been talking about having Patreon perks be uh, recipes, starting oh. to have recipes for our patrons. And I think maybe maybe this is a good way to like kick that off. That sounds very good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> it looks like if anybody wants to, uh, they can stay at the Inn at Little Washington also. in uh, It's in Washington, Virginia, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, it's still it open. And in 2019, it became the first and only three-star Michelin restaurant in the D.C. metropolitan area. Damn, wow. That's kind of surprising, actually. Yeah. Only. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I've been to D.C., so I grew up outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and so I would go down to D.C. fairly often, and I think my favorite food memories from D.C. have always been kind of little holes in the wall or, if anything, maybe trendy little restaurants. Like, there's a restaurant called We the Pizza, (laughs) um, pun on We the People, um, and that was always really good, and 
you know, for me, it was always, I'm an absolute dork. And in high school, I um, did a project that made me go down a couple of weekends to the Library of Congress to do research. So I was a proud little 16 year old with his uh, um, Library of Congress reading card. <laughs> Um, but I would mean every weekend I would, you know, have to find somewhere to buy myself some lunch and sure. in the Capitol Hill neighborhood. And I think, I guess that's the bigger DC food scene is where can Congress people and staffers and tourists eat that's fast and good. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense that it would be like yeah. more of a sort of quick fix kind of place than a like fine dining or whatever. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It is still surprising to me, though, probably because most of what I know about DC is from TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. Which is valid, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with TV yeah. shows. I just, you know, like if Olivia Pope's going to gonna live there, I guess then her, her president boyfriend would just fly her to New York for the dining experience. Well, but also Olivia Pope just only eats popcorn and red wine. So, like, I don't yeah, know Yeah, but Michelin about... starred popcorn and red wine. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Olivia Pope's apartment is <laughs> the yeah. other three-starred. It's all truffle popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about, should I talk about my, like, identity? Yeah, sure. Let's, let's talk about where queerness and food intersect, because this is, after all, LGBTQ. And we yeah. gotta put some tea in the LGBTQ. Hey yo! Hey yo! <laughs> oh yeah! Maybe that's what I can bring to the barbecue is iced tea. I don't even really like iced tea all that much. Is but, that like a um, tea shot on ice? That would work. <laughs> <laughs> would that work? I don't no, think that so, would be terrible. Yeah. It's like a tray of shots. Outside of the range of 15 degrees and 30 degrees Celsius, if it strays at all outside of that, you're in trouble and you're supposed to take it to the pharmacy and get new, um, which is very stressful in both the summer and winter. Yeah, no kidding. have an apartment that's not very yeah. well heat regulated. but um, That's crazy. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not ideal. And in fact, um, I'm on the more stable version because the there's another version where it's supposed to be between 20 and 25. Oh, my God. Luckily, I'm also mildly allergic to that version, so I don't even worry hey, about it. There you go. But anyway, so to talk about my identity a little bit. So I am... <laughs> After that introduction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, all about the medicine that I take to... <laughs> to I wonder where my... this is going. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um... So I'm transgender. I I it took me a long while to figure things out. I mean, I guess in the span of sort of trans people coming out, I'm not late to come out. You know, I'm in my mid twenties, and um, but also I you know I wasn't one of those kids who you know grew up four years old being like, "Mommy, when am I going to grow up into being a boy?" I really would say that for me, I just I didn't even have the time or capacity to start really figuring myself out mm -hmm. until I was um, out of undergrad and working and first I figured out that I liked women because I you know being a youth group church teenager um, <laughs> it's not exactly the space where you have the ability to figure yourself out and so I I figured it out um, that I liked women in a funny way, actually. I was I was leaving work and running into a store and kind of um, just running errands. And I saw a girl who looked just like somebody in one of my creative writing classes from undergrad. And I said out loud to myself, 
that looks like a girl I had a crush on in college. And then was like, wait, what the fuck did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that was really the beginning of the story of accepting myself because I just wandered around that store for an hour, not really buying anything, not even really looking at anything, just trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with this? Mm-hmm. I could repress it back and, you know, figure it out again when I'm 45, or I could be honest and start to move forward. And I made a terrifying choice to be honest with myself and not repress it. And about a year later, at this point I was living in Ohio, and about a year later I'd moved to Montreal. And the moment that I moved to Montreal, all of the gender questions that have just been running around in the back of my brain came immediately to the forefront. And um it was less than a year later that i was you know fully out mm-hmm. and just sort of starting to move in the right direction to get access to hormones that's amazing mm-hmm. yeah. that that i think is around the time that we met you because i yeah. think that we yes. we met you and you were like i am very recently trans and we were like hey congrats yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it was, was um, we first met I'd only been in Montreal when we first met. It was what probably November or December because Bailey was preaching. Mm. Yeah, that's um, right. So it was just a couple of months after I'd moved to Montreal, and I think I at that point was just about to or had just come out um, on Facebook, and you know the <laughs> I, w- I was a I was in the middle of the just such a whirlwind mm-hmm. but the funny part is that ever since then the whirlwind has never really stopped sure it's just that the chaos keeps becoming different things whether it's um evolving pandemic chaos or um work stress and so forth so you know, i think the reality for me for the next couple of years is just going to be everything is chaotic and i'll just be vacillating between stress cooking and stress baking and eating uh air fried uh frozen pot stickers for the fourth day in a row because i am too tired and stressed to cook you know i i think that's fair i mean that's kind of like now granted like you know we had kids in our mid-20s so i don't know if we count but like (laughs) i think for most people in their mid-20s that is just kind of the space you live in is one of like constant chaos and like feeding yourself whatever you can feed yourself while you are like dealing with your shit so like i think you're in good company on that yeah i think you're right i think there's something really interesting about the relationship between space and identity mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we might struggle to figure out something about ourselves or to come to terms with something about ourselves and then we change places in the yeah. world and like suddenly it's unlocked a little bit more yeah, there's context is so important. Like I'm thinking about like I, I just went back to like the the um to Cambridge, Massachusetts for the first time in six years, which is where I went to high school. And I had been feeling this like like draw, this like irresistible draw there. And um I really do think that our context like holds so much about ourselves, like realizing the ways that I changed since I moved to Montreal thirteen years ago versus like who I was there. Uh it's always really cool to see how those shifts in context can help us like yeah come to terms with different parts of our identity yeah i think on like a on a macro on a micro level like even just changing like a job context can have that kind of effect too right where it's like i've had like i mean i changed jobs a couple months ago and like 
there are things about myself that I like didn't really talk about at my last job that like now I'm like just open about because Mm -hmm. it's like oh it's a new context like there's Mm -hmm. things that I was processing when I started working at my last job and therefore didn't feel comfortable sharing Mm -hmm. and then now I'm at this new job and it's like oh I can just like casually mention like actually yeah I'm an alcoholic and like that's hard and the thing that I struggle with and like that and you know like obviously a work context is not necessarily a place where you're going to like dump every personal detail about yourself (laughs) but like but just things about your your identity right where it's like you might you know at one job you might not come out to your coworkers, and then your next job you're like "Eh, this feels like a safe place for this and like that too actually like I was only out to like a handful of people at my last job and here at my new job I'm like yeah fuck it everyone knows who cares and there's there's something to that right where if you're feeling stuck sometimes you just need a change of pace a change of scenery yeah I mean you know I'm there (laughs) you know I like that I'm like let's change it up it's been six months but uh we're talking about Alex today (laughs) yeah it's funny because I actually was um like I lived in Ohio for six years I moved there for undergrad and I left um, to move to Montreal. And when I arrived, I was absolutely the most kind of dedicated conservative evangelical Christian you could find. Sure. Um, because that's just what I've been taught. And I evolved and grew and changed so much over that time period, you know, to where now I'm a um, communist Anglican. And. Um, <laughs> I um (laughs) it was funny because I really I needed the cognitive dissonance of Mm. who I was when I arrived Mm. to be able to break off in order to be able to really move forward and I mean then there's just the practical safety concerns Mm -hmm. of running into people from my old evangelical church in the grocery store is very, very possible if I am reckoning with a gender identity in the same place where a bunch of really transphobic people I used to know are. Whereas, you know, if I'm in Montreal, there's not really that same chance of some random person who I used to go to church with is going to come and try to harass me in the grocery store. Right, yeah. Yeah, because I, I feel like transphobes who don't know you are less likely to start shit than transphobes who do, weirdly, you know? Oh, yeah. Because I, I feel like a lot of the time anonymity empowers jerks or, like, emboldens jerks. Yeah. But I feel like in that kind of situation where you're just, like, out and about, it's not necessarily going to be the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I mean, the reality, too, is that... Um, where I was in rural Ohio is a very conservative place and has only gotten more conservative over mm-hmm. the last few years. Um, thanks, Trump 2016. <laughs> um, and so that just meant that I think even if I didn't have that history with those people, I would still feel a lot more hesitant to exist in public being, you know, in that, those early days of transition where you're visibly gender Mm non-conforming but especially just knowing you know knowing all those people who and and knowing what they thought and knowing what they said behind closed doors Mm -hmm. there was no way that I would have felt comfortable being myself with the threat of seeing them and knowing exactly what they think and them quite possibly saying exactly what they think 
while I'm there. Yeah. And so it's just so nice to have this fresh start where on the one hand, yeah, there's assholes everywhere, but on the other hand, those assholes don't know me and don't know my every insecurity and how to how to really hurt me. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and here there's a fifty percent chance they're gonna be assholes to you in French, so you might not have to deal with it as much. <laughs> yeah. At least 50%. I don't know how good your French is. I just assumed you haven't been here that long. (laughs) Well, so I actually studied French in high school. So my French is is all right. It's, uh, if people speak to me slow, I am a-okay. If people are leaving muttered voicemails on um, (laughs) the voicemail of the church where I'm currently working, I'm I'm, I'm useless. If if they speak too fast and there's bad connection, there's no hope. (laughs) Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I get that. My my new job is a very Italian restaurant that includes a lot of Italian clientele who don't speak English or French. Oh, uh, wow. And I don't speak a word of Italian. Well, I mean, I speak words of Italian, but like they're all, you know, spaghetti and shit. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, truly, like if my customers are speaking Italian and they say spaghetti, I'm like, I got you. It's it's <laughs> other stuff that, you know, um, and they'll call sometimes and I'm always like shit like is anyone here who speaks Italian like is is my boss here is the like we have one other person on staff it's like my boss one of the clerks and my boss's mom who is like sometimes around no one else speaks Italian and they're like what is happening (laughs) it's tough especially on the phone because in person you can kind of like gesture you know yeah yeah Tepper is losing their I'm mind. I'm sorry, right now. I'm just I'm just like a guy who says he speaks Italian, but it's all just <laughs> pasta names. <laughs> like, yeah, I speak a little bit of Italian. A penne, legunni, ravioli, caloli. Have you seen Flight of the Concords? Oh, and yeah. that, um there's this scene I'm gonna be embarrassed because I don't remember the name of it, but there's this whole thing about that and French where there's this entire song where one of the guys uh, is just singing every French word is he it, knows. Is it like Jacques Cousteau? Is that the Oh, I think oh, I've heard the song actually. Uh, I know this. Yeah, it's been a long time. Flight of the Concords is wonderful. Yeah, we just went through the first season. We didn't bother with the second season because I've heard that it gets worse and why not end on a high note yeah yeah but, still yeah. fun in the second season but decidedly not as like good Stracciatelli. <laughs> all right all right look <laughs> it's useful vocabulary for me okay Lasagna. all right <laughs> <laughs> on that note we're gonna pop over to the mid-roll for a second and find sure. out about some other ways that i can make money <laughs> <laughs> then we'll come back to this Hello, hello. It is mid-roll time. Welcome to it. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review we get during the month of August, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need, so by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of this show, you're functionally donating $6 worth of food to people who need it. There is literally no other way to turn zero into six. Believe me, I've tried. So if that math is exciting for you, go do it. You can read all about what the depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. All right, that's it for the mid-roll. Let's get back to the show. Oh my god, Alex, I just have to tell you this. Last (laughs) night, before we get back to it, last night, (laughs) Toby, Toby goes, like, Papa, I have a tummy ache. 
And I was like, oh, you know what, honey? Try putting your knees near your chest. Like, like I was trying to get him to, like, do knee chest to, like, if he was gassy. And mm. he just bends ever so slightly down towards his <laughs> legs and immediately rips just the biggest fart. <laughs> and he, like, lost his shit. He cracked up so hard. <laughs> He's the perfect child. It was amazing. And it made his tummy ache go away. <laughs> perfect. So speaking of things that are amazing and make our tummy aches go away, we're here now for the second half of LGBTQ. Uh, Alex, our theme this year is everyone's got something to bring to the cookout. So our big question for you today is what would you bring to our big gay barbecue? Yeah, so I've actually brought this to a barbecue at your place before. (laughs) But I, a couple of years ago, got some rhubarb and was really excited and trying to figure out what to do with it. And I found a recipe for rhubarb simple syrup. And I don't know where I decided that it just had to be lemonade and that lemonade was the perfect thing. But I have now made pretty regularly a um, rhubarb lemonade using just rhubarb syrup and lemon juice and water. And it is probably my favorite thing. And so I would probably bring it so that, you know, so that I could have my favorite. I love that. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a very good lemonade. It is. It makes me want to go buy rhubarb right this second, actually, and because I'm just going like, why don't I have, you know, liters of rhubarb simple syrup canned up for, for the year? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we? Truly. You, you could. You could. Um, there are also the, the cheat code that I found this past winter when I was trying to make rhubarb simple syrup um, as a gift was that a certain IGA um, in the LaSalle area carries frozen rhubarb all year round. And on the one hand, is it better if it's fresh? Yes. But if it's simple syrup, it actually doesn't make that much yeah. of a difference. Sure, yeah. I often and, just freeze rhubarb during free, during freezing season, during rhubarb <laughs> season for freezing season. Um, but that's good to know because sometimes mm-hmm. I don't freeze. I love rhubarb. I'm mm-hmm. a rhubarb fiend. And sometimes yeah. I don't freeze rhubarb and then we don't have it. Mm. Um, yeah. But, Let's not discount frozen produce, honestly. Like frozen yeah. produce is... I mean, to me, frozen produce is definitely better than stuff that has to be flown across the world in order for us to have it in terms of, like, mm-hmm. environmental impact, right? Because, mm-hmm. yeah. like, we got to think about, like, con- conservation of, not to get on this train, but, you know, conservation of, like, products that we eat. Like, if we want to do it in a way that's as, like, low waste and as, like, good for the environment as possible, that means buying stuff that's seasonal and freezing or canning or pickling or whatever the stuff that we don't have time to eat or the stuff that we want to be able to eat when it's out of season and like frozen rhubarb is a great example of that right because it doesn't grow year-round but we sure as hell want it to (laughs) and like you can buy it year-round even though it doesn't grow year-round and like you gotta question why right Mm -hmm. another frozen produce that i will use a lot is um i've figured out I think I've cracked the code to making a sog paneer that actually tastes really good at Ooh. home. And um, I'll just use the frozen chopped spinach yeah. because sure. it, the extra step of blanching the spinach takes it from, oh yeah, you know, maybe this dinner is going to take an hour and a half to two hours to cook to also having to clean the food processor and just no. So, um, 
So I'll I'll use I'll start with frozen spinach and um, the big secret that I've learned is used to use way more onions and garlic than you could ever imagine would make any sense. Like I think I've made it with six or eight red onions before. Wow. Um, just diced up, but the frozen spinach really. I, I can't afford, nor do I have the time to deal with buying the fresh stuff. Yeah. Sure. When I can just keep a block of frozen spinach and a block of paneer in the fridge, and then when I've got time to cook a meal but nothing in the fridge, just make that. Well, and if you buy fresh spinach, you buy a bundle of fresh spinach for, what, 5 $6? Because food prices mm-hmm. are outrageous mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you cook that you steam that you blanch that and you have about a tablespoon of <laughs> spinach yeah so yeah. All right. you know frozen spinach is is significantly more cost effective mm-hmm. but also just across the board like frozen produce is so much more pleasant than canned oh yeah um, oh yeah and you know i grew up on on frozen berries much more than fresh like i i, I think you're right like we shouldn't discount frozen produce and what it does for us and for the environment it's mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. nice and it's like yeah of course you can't use frozen spinach for everything obviously like no. fresh spinach on a sandwich or a salad yeah like don't make a salad oh. out of frozen spinach oh. sure but for like anything <laughs> yeah. anything cooked yeah. it's totally fine absolutely yeah. and it goes a long way too because like the worst with buying like a head of spinach or a head of lettuce or cabbage or whatever is that like you're going to use some and then it's going to go bad yeah. I guess you could freeze the rest. There's you could You can't freeze lettuce. Bad. Don't well, you can freeze lettuce <laughs> but only if you're putting it in a green smoothie. And even yeah. then, your lettuce isn't going to add that much to your yeah. smoothie. No, cuz all that lettuce really adds usually is crunch and like yeah. once you blend it into a smoothie, you actually don't want crunch. Usually. Yeah, I mean, I have I have lettuce feelings, but I'll I'll keep some to myself. <laughs> um cabbage, no oh. cabbage though. I've got to defend cabbage's honor cuz you can keep a head of cabbage in your fridge indeterminately like it'll go a little gross on the outside but you can cut that out and there is sweet fresh cabbage inside cabbage is an mvp of a vegetable i could do an entire episode have we done an episode on cabbage yet we should do it not yet we should yeah i mean you know don't get me wrong like i don't even mean that as a dig against fresh spinach i just mean in terms of like it's a bummer when something goes bad so like if you know that you're not going to use enough spinach before the spinach is dead like get the frozen stuff because then you will Because it'll last forever. it's so much cheaper. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Especially, I found spinach in particular. You know, you can get, um, you know, on sale, maybe it's a dollar for a little block versus the the fresh stuff. It's so expensive and just doesn't do the trick. Now, that said, I've actually, I have one exception to if you're cooking spinach, you really have got to use the fresh stuff. If we go back on the turkey train, um, when (laughs) I was growing up, my mom used to make... um, turkey quesadillas um, the day after Thanksgiving with um, brie and spinach and walnuts and chopped apples. Okay. And it was absolutely delicious, but she would use frozen spinach and you really want the spinach to stay together Mm. in these. And so we have evolved it um, in our household um, to now we'll do it as hand pies with out of pie crust. But, um, we always use fresh spinach leaves because it just it prevents that sort of moisture from just seeping into everything. Mm-hmm. And then we've added um, homemade cranberry sauce mm. to sure, yeah. sort of fill it out and make this perfect hand pie. But that is my one exception. I will not use 
um, frozen spinach for it, even though that's the way that I grew up because mm-hmm. I can't bear the thought of the soggy spinach seeping out spinach juice just seeping out over the rest of the quesadilla or hand pie. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's the risk with frozen spinach, right, is that it does get very watery. Well, you can thaw and strain it if you're going to use it, but at that point, like, if you have fresh spinach, like, yeah. Might as well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Anything you have to, like, strain... it's such a calculation, eh? Yeah. yeah. Like, how much how much effort am I willing to put into this thing that I'm making? And is it more effort to use the fresh version or the canned or frozen version? And, like, at what point do I just give up? Yeah, that's so true. I think when I first started dating my partner, Mallory, we, um, like, I would cook her elaborate meals almost every day (laughs) it was pre-pandemic so i just had more energy and i think there was also just a sense of i want to impress this girl and um get her to stay with me forever and um not that i don't still want to impress her and get her to stay it's just she's you know decided to keep me around for now um you're you're more secure in the relationship now so you don't feel like you have to cook fancy meals every night to, to keep her i get it But one of our earliest memories in dating was she had a meal kit that we were going to make and she she didn't have a garlic press. So one of the the, I think the first present I bought for her in our relationship was a garlic press. But um, I I think I spent an hour trying to finally enough dice the ginger from this meal kit. (laughs) And I know. I know. But hey, she kept me. There um, you go. <laughs> kept you around, yeah. <laughs> but um, and and she still makes fun of me for it a little bit. But I I think as life has gotten busier and busier, and I've gotten more and more exhausted as the chaos of transition. Honestly, the emotional, the amount of emotional energy that is spent on just trying to get people to treat you like you're a person. Mm. And then, you know, on top of that pandemic stress and the stress of the world around us going to shit and all of these things have weighed on me. You know, it's, I've gone from, um, no, I am going to make every single piece of this from scratch, from breaking down the chicken from the grocery store myself all the way to making that broth to roasting the butternut squash and you know everything in between and that's our everyday reality to mm-hmm. starting to treat those things as a treat and instead you know just buy the, the the frozen pot stickers stick them in the air fryer and then um you know whip up a salad to put them on top of as my kind of usual day of cooking i sure. relate and- so strongly <laughs> to this journey yeah. just so so deeply and personally well, and, like- and like on the one hand i really love those every single step of this was from scratch meals Mm. and honestly i'm hoping to take some vacation time and really get into that in fact tom you and i were talking earlier this summer about um making butter together and i still want to do that with you that would be fun but also there comes a point where you have to realize that your day-to-day reality is not going to be the dream perfection food and is going to be the what do you do to survive, but how do you dress it up to, enough to make yourself feel content about it? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I've been talking with one of my friends recently a lot about ritual and how, like, such an important part of how we feed ourselves is ritual. And, like, I think we've talked about this on the podcast as well. Um, but I know for me, like, when I get into a 
survival struggle meals right when I get into a struggle meals rut what I miss is the ritual like I Mm -hmm. miss like it's been so nice now that Tom is working less like we have time to actually cook together again Mm -hmm. and it makes such a difference in the value and I think like that's actually something I really like with the LGBTQ series is what we're talking about the big gay barbecue like the barbecue is a social ritual it's a place where we come together and we eat together and we bring foods that are important to us and um that social connection I think is something we've all been really missing um in the past few years of course because we haven't you know I'm thinking about people who would eat together over zoom and all make the same Mm -hmm. meal and, and eat together over zoom while we're all in isolation um but I love like yeah, I love like coming together and 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 finding these different things that are important and why they're mm-hmm. important and where it comes from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I was first, before I really even got into cooking, I had some friends who owned a coffee shop and got me into coffee, and I would just had a little single person uh, French press that I would make every morning before going to class my last year of undergrad and. I loved the ritual and even if it wasn't exactly like there probably were better ways to make the French press than what I did. I just found one and I stuck with it and I just (laughs) I would be so exact in some ways as a way of coping with the uncertainties of the world around me. Like I think we can use the rituals of preparing food in some ways to help us deal with the ways in which other things outside of our kitchens we can't really always control yeah absolutely that's beautifully Mm -hmm. put absolutely yeah i think about the the coffee ritual thing a lot because like we do you know we have we make coffee every morning and we Mm -hmm. don't have like a machine that does it we we do like a pour over kind of thing Mm -hmm. and there is something really nice about that like yeah do I sometimes wish that our coffee would just make itself when we wake up yeah of course that'd be lovely but like there is something nice about the sort of watching it you and know? for me our ritual of making coffee actually goes like further back for me because I grew up with pour over so hearing the coffee grinder like waking up to the coffee mm-hmm. grinder in the morning because I am the lazy layabout in our house and Tom is the one who gets up in the morning and does stuff um is such a like uh formative memory for sure. me that when we started doing pour over it was like really nice yeah um I love that. and there really are like i think something i've said a lot is that like no matter what you're trying to forget or no matter how far away you get from the way you grew up your taste buds don't let go of it mm. like i think about when i've talked about it before i think i talk about my great-grandfather who when he left armenia really kind of like didn't engage with Armenian culture anymore but of course they still made Armenian food because you still make the food that you like you still make the food you grew up with like you can't really get away from that and I think that's something that's really special with queer identity especially because a lot of us have conflicted relationships at best with our upbringings and our history Um, but I think we still all have comfort food we still we still have the food we carry with us we still have the recipes and rituals we carry with us and that's something that's really special yeah yeah i mean one of my only relationships like when i was first transitioning she's i don't know where exactly where she's at in terms of whether she fully accepts me or whether she just kind of doesn't say anything to keep the peace but um for a while with my mom my relationship was like i knew there were two safe topics and it was 
um, growing vegetables on the balcony mm-hmm. and what's going on in the kitchen. And so it was all just around food sure. because mm-hmm. you know that even even just with, um, I've got some friends from previous church contexts who I've stayed somewhat in touch with. And again, it's food is the safe subject because mm-hmm. I love it, they love it. And there, there's nothing that will cause them to, you know, there's, there's, there's a, it's hard to go from, oh, you know, I'm cooking this thing to, oh, well, you know, your, your identity is a sin, your identity should be in Christ. And so having, or I mean, on my mom's case, just, you know, asking me all these questions and not really, you know, wishing she had her little girl back and all these things. And it's it's so nice to be able to just say, no, we're just going to talk about, um, you know, mama, I want you to to teach me a little bit more about what you do with your turkey, or I really want you to, um, you know, give me some advice here because my tomatoes are struggling again and I don't know what to do. Um, it allows you to have that parent-child relationship in a way that feels a little bit safer. Totally. Well, and like historically, a lot of cultures that is kind of the default parent-child relationship, especially with mothers, just because, you know, the patriarchy. And, like, mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense that that's the thing that can't be destroyed, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That feels like a really nice note to end on. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end. Alex, thank you so much for phoning in, for sharing your story with us, for talking food with us. Is there anything you want to plug before we let you go? Social media accounts you want people to follow, events that you want to promote, now is your chance. Yeah, I mean, people can always follow me on um on twitter or instagram i guess but really i mostly just use twitter and instagram stories um i am at alex mark with a c griffin on twitter and instagram thanks for having me this has been fun this has been so fun i appreciate that you transitioned in Montreal and therefore have the C on the mark instead of the K. That's a very, <laughs> yes. that's a very Quebecois spelling. Yeah. I like that. Um, <laughs> I like that there's sort of the Montreal mark. On, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, that's a pun. I didn't even mean that. <laughs> you meant it. You meant it. You did it on purpose. Yeah, it was yeah. on purpose. Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah Mar- Montreal has left this sort of indelible uh, <laughs> sign, I guess, of, on, on who I am. And I mean, I knew when I moved here um, that uh, that I wanted to be a part of the city and for the city to be a part of me. And and it really has. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the city is better with you in it. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to No Bad Food. Want to join the conversation? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at No Bad Food Pod and individually at Teferbear and at Tom Zalatni. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and donate. For as little as $1 a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Gab, Kendallin, Thomas, Anne, Erica, Carlea, Andrew, Chantal, David, Mallory, and Sarah. Our patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show and maybe get some recipes like the ones mentioned in this episode today. If that's exciting for you, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and make it happen.
We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at TeePublic. And of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach Rhubarb Lemonade Ingles, and our cover art is by David Dr. Pepper Turkey Time Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. Last but certainly not least, this show is produced by me and Teffer and edited by me as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at UpfordNetwork.com. See you next week. Bye. Understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hey there, I'm David. I'm Tess. I'm Giovanni. And I'm Greg. And we're Left Trigger, Right Trigger, your video game book club. Each episode, we pick a topic, and each of us brings a video game that we think best fits that topic. Tune into the show to find out how Super Mario Land is all about travel. Or how Bloodborne is a game about sacrifice. Or how SimCity is actually a conspiracy to mine data about human infrastructure. No, we have to stop with that. We're doing a a promo. Please stop. Intrigued? A little scared? Us too. Make sure to catch us every other Tuesday on your favorite Podcatcher app. See you there. Hey, I'm October Jones. Hi, and this I'm is- Fish with Legs. I'm a fish hey, with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water. And I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs. Starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish with Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. (laughs) New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website.